Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where I discuss value investing, rational analysis, and break down processes, principles, and mental models of business owners and managers. Today, we have a very interesting person coming on the show, Mikkel Thorup, who is the host of the Expat Money Show podcast. He is also the author of the number one best-selling book, Expat Secrets on Amazon. Mikkel has spent more than 20 years in continual travel around the world, circumnavigation the globe more than 400 times, visiting over 100 countries, including Colombia, North Korea, Zimbabwe, and Iran. His goal is to help people just like you to generate additional streams of income, eliminate your tax bill, and take advantage of offshore structures so you can travel the world freely and never have to worry about money again. Mikhail, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Eric. And uh, if everybody has been listening, make sure you check out Eric's interview because he's going to be a guest on my show this week as well. So this is going to be really fun today to be on the other side of the microphone, I think. So, Mikhail, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and your, and your background. Yeah, absolutely. So my story, I have to go a little bit backwards in time and promise not to make it too, too long. But basically, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. So I remember I was in grade three and the teacher pulled me out of class and they took me to a little room and the principal was there and the resource teacher and my teacher. And they said, Mikhail, Mikhail, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, special school for special boys. And Eric, that's what they did. Literally every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took the little white bus across town and I went to this special school. But the problem was it actually wasn't a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine I got in a lot of fights. I got picked on. I got bullied. Now, this is no woe is me story. Poor Mikkel, poor Mikkel. I'm certainly no victim. Like I gave as good as I got back in the day. But I had a challenging time. There's no question about it. So I went through three years of this and I, I hated the experience. I literally hated every day. I would either come home from school crying or with a bloody nose or whatever it might be. But after three years, I got to go back to my neighborhood school. And I thought, wow, this is going to be so amazing, Eric. I thought, these kids will have missed me so much, and everyone's going to be wondering, like, what happened, and they're going to all be so happy to see me, you know? Yes. I arrived to school, and, you know, of course, I'm sure you can kind of guess once again what happened. You know, they started gossiping and whispering, oh, I know him. He went to some retard school. 1980s, totally politically correct. You know how sensitive children are. They're very, you know, that EQ level when you're, you know, seven, eight, nine years old is, is very high. But anyways, more fights, more picked on, more bullying, et cetera, et cetera. So I um, decided I don't like school very much. And I started failing. And then I'd stop going. And then they'd send me to summer school. And I would fail that and I'd stop going to that. Somehow I squeaked through and I got just into high school, failing that, et cetera, et cetera. Well, long story short, at 12 years old, I stopped going to school. And at 15, I officially dropped out. So I was very fortunate. A year or two after that, I started traveling and everything changed for me. 
I was a teenager still, first time I went overseas. And I started meeting these incredible human beings who were doing things so different. And they didn't know about my quote unquote learning disability, which side note for everybody, it's a form of dyslexia. It's actually not really a big deal. And it's not something that you need to pull your kids out of school. You know, there's other ways around it. And if you look at lots of people have this, it's really not a big deal. But 1980s, they didn't know how to deal with this type of situation. They pulled me out of school and I had a horrendous experience. But I start meeting these people overseas and nobody knows about all of this background, this, this story. And I can recreate myself and I meet these people and it's like, these are my folks, you know, things make sense to me now. And it was interesting. My father, when he was, when I was growing up, had told me when he went traveling around Europe, when he was, I don't know, in his early twenties, it was the best thing he ever did with his life. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. It's the best thing you ever did with your life, but you only did it once. First of all, why? And like, second of all, like, well, what is he talking about? So I go out there and I travel. My first trip was to Ireland, England, and Wales. I was about 16 or 17 years old. And I really saw what he was talking about. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And immediately I went back and got a job or maybe a second job. I was already working at the time, and saving money. And I went back to Europe. So I went to Europe for five months. And then I went to North Africa. I spent two months in North Africa. So I was in... Morocco, I took a camel for three days and went to Algeria on a camel and then back again across the Sahara. And, you know, we're talking about the year, I started this in 2000. So we're talking a, a solid 20 years ago. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't have, okay, the internet existed, but it certainly was not like it is today. And since then, I've traveled all over the world. Like you said in the introduction, I've lived in eight countries, soon to be nine countries. I've been to 104, 105 countries, circumnavigated the planet more than 400 times. And today I'm happy to kind of talk through those places and the locations and how I'm able to do this tax-free. And we can talk about kind of the arbitrage from one jurisdiction to another and, you know, whatever you want to explore. But I tell this very long story because I want people to understand that I'm really doing this stuff with my own life. This is not armchair travel. This is not armchair investing overseas or armchair tax strategies. These are things that I'm really out there doing. And yes, I've made mistakes along the way. I am a human being like everyone else, but I learned from the mistakes. And now I create content, the expat money show, my podcast and newsletters and blogs and books and everything like that to help people to do the same thing. Got it. That's a fascinating story. So let's start with what would have someone want to get into this. Obviously, there'd be certain tax advantages, financial advantages, standard of living advantages. It also seems kind of fun too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've just listed a number of things and we can explore each one individually or we can just kind of go surface level. But I will add to that, yes, you said standard of living, but also cost of living. Certainly there's the tax aspect. There's for health reasons, for medical reasons. We get a lot of people who do medical tourism, who don't want to be spending $20,000, $25,000 on their private medical insurance. Maybe they want to save themselves money on something like that. Maybe they want better care or care that is not offered in Canada or the United States. I think you understand that there's a lot of procedures that are banned to do in these countries, but you can go to somewhere like South Korea and have it done. And they actually have advanced medical procedures there. So maybe some new experimental thing that could save your life or the life of someone that you love care you love and care about. Those are types of things you can do overseas. And certainly fun 
adventure, interest, um, the culture, the language. I'll give you another example from the personal side. I'm Canadian with Danish heritage. My wife is born in mainland China. I met her in Germany. My daughter was born in the Middle East. We got married in Africa. Well, technically we got married first and then my daughter was born in the Middle East. Now we live in Panama. So, I mean, that's just very unlikely to happen in your small town where you grew up. But when you're traveling and you're living internationally, that's actually a really common story. I have lots of friends who have love and found love in the same type of way. Does that all make sense? To- totally. So logistically, how does that work? Kind of gets to the next thing I was going to ask is, do you need to be single to have this lifestyle or can you be married, have kids? And clearly you answer my question. So logistically, you know, you're traveling around a lot, going on these adventures. How does that work having a wife, having kids? Walk us through that. Well, first of all, my wife also really enjoys traveling. She lived in the Middle East for nine years. She was in Qatar for three and then six years in Abu Dhabi. I lived in Abu Dhabi for eight years. And it was a beautiful, beautiful place. So I don't want anyone who's listening here today to get kind of confused and think that Mikel has been a digital nomad for 20 years. I'm not. I'm an expat. So what does that mean? What is an expat? I guess lexicon, vocabulary, this is important. An expat really means someone who leaves their country of birth, moves to another country with the intent of living there for a specified amount of time. Now, when that time is up, they either go back home or they continue on to another country. So I have lots of friends who came overseas for work. They did a five-year stint. Then they went back to the States. Awesome. They were an expat. For me, I went from one country to another country to another country. I lived in Guatemala for six months. Then I lived in Australia for three years. And I lived in New Zealand for a year. And I lived in Singapore for a year. I lived in Abu Dhabi. And I lived in the Middle East. I lived all over these places. So I didn't do that comeback period. I guess the real difference is I'm not an immigrant. I didn't move to a country and then spend the rest of my life there. I still hold my Canadian citizenship. I still travel on my Canadian passport. Does all of that make sense? Like I, yes. we, yeah. we have to kind of define terms. There's nothing wrong with digital nomads or perpetual travelers. I've done that in periods of my life, but I'm an expat. So I really incorporate myself into the community. I learned the language. I learned the food. I have local friends like Panama, for example, where I am right now. I spent the last two years studying Spanish. My Spanish is really good after two years. Yes, I put hard work and effort into it. But when I go out and play pool with my buddy who's Panamanian and doesn't speak English, we can go and go drinking all night and play pool. And I don't have to worry, you know, I get to do that now in a different language. I get to now connect with him in something that he understands instead of making everybody try to understand me and my way of doing things. I'm a guest in this country. I'm I'm not a tourist. Do you know what I mean? So it's different. It's challenging, yes, but it's really rewarding at the same time. And how I got to travel to so many countries was because in every one of these places that I lived, I used that as a base. And from there, I visited the neighboring country. So when I lived in Abu Dhabi, I went to Bahrain, I went to Oman, I went to Turkey multiple times, I went to Kuwait, I went to all of these neighboring countries. Now, if I lived in Toronto to go to Kuwait, would be a very long journey. Like you're talking, first of all, you know, a 14-hour flight to get to the Middle East, and then there's probably no direct flights to Kuwait. And it's kind of just a, not a lot going on there. It's probably not somewhere you're going to want to travel to the other side of the planet on. Right. But for me, it was 40 minutes away. I went for a long weekend. No big deal. 
same thing. I lived in Australia. I went to Fiji. I went there five times. I used to go for a long weekend. I'd go snorkeling or scuba diving, or I'd go out and meet some friends or something like that for three days. Five, six, seven hour flight, and I'm there. I go in the morning. I got the afternoon, go out for dinner. Try to go from Canada, the States, New York, something like that to Fiji. You're talking 40 hours of travel. You'd want to be there for a month because you'd be so tired from the jet lag. When I lived in that part of the world, it wasn't a big deal. So interesting. How does this work for your kids? And are they moving to school systems all the time or what happens there? So good question. My daughter is almost five years old. She was born an expat. She's a Canadian citizen. She's born in the Middle East. We believe in homeschooling after my horrendous experience going through government-run schools. That wasn't something I wanted to put my child into. But we can even look beyond that. Look at the school system during COVID. Schools have abandoned the children. They have absolutely turned their backs on families. How hard it has been for families who were expecting their kids to go to school for eight hours a day, and now they've had to figure out creative ways to do that. That's tough. Like, I genuinely feel for them. We were very fortunate. We have always wanted to homeschool my daughter. So my wife sits and works with my daughter two, three hours in the morning. My daughter can read and write Mandarin. My daughter speaks three languages. She's five. She's already been to 13 countries. So it fits in already really well with my lifestyle. But saying all that, maybe you're listening and going, oh, that's great for Mikkel, but I don't want to homeschool my kids. I don't have time for that stuff. But the expat thing, it is kind of interesting. What are the options? Okay, well, first of all, there is public school. If you have a proper residency and you have a legal right to enroll your child in the school system, that's an option. Well, you also have private schools. You have international schools. So if you want your child to go to the German school in Panama or the French school in Panama, you can. The curriculum will be done in that language. It will be done by those teachers. It will be done following their methodology and their language. So there's opportunities for that. Now, the kids are also going to be around other expat kids. So they're going to have friends from all over the world. If you want to send your kid to a French school, you actually don't even have to be French. You can be from anywhere in the world. Now you're going to pay for this and different countries are going to have different prices. Panama might be very affordable in this example and Dubai and Abu Dhabi, where I used to live, might be very expensive. So you have to take these things into consideration. And that's kind of why I work with people on coming together on an entire plan, you know, because I'm not just some young kid out there traveling with a backpack. I was at one point, that was 21 years ago. Now I'm a man, I have a family, I have responsibilities, I have things that need to be taken care of. I can speak to all of these things because I have been through them. I don't coach and consult and help people to do stuff that I don't know and understand myself. So walk me through, if I, let's say I come to you and I say, Mikhail, you know, this seems like kind of an interesting lifestyle. You know, I'd love to, you know, lower my cost of living a little bit, maybe have some interesting ways of living that I just wouldn't be able to do being based in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. What would you say to me? What are, what are some countries available to me? What are the advantages of certain countries? Are there sort of maybe like the, the countries that are kind of nice to ease into to start? Well, I'll tell you what is popular. Okay. First of all, for North Americans, Latin America, it seems to be very easy for people just to go south. We're talking the same time zone. We're talking short flights. Yes, it's a different in a culture, but it's not so different. There's usually a decent amount of 
Hispanic or Latin culture, probably where you live already. So to make the change to that is not going to be too hard. Now, you want to move to Japan tomorrow, that might be a bit of a culture shock. It's not something that I'm going to say is impossible, but if you don't have a lot of experience, it might be difficult. Yes, we do get clients who move to, you know, certainly Thailand and Malaysia, Indonesia and Singapore, you know, Southeast Asia, but we also get Korea and China and Japan and things like that. Those are going to be a little bit more challenging. We have people who go to Europe and, you know, the Mediterranean is always very popular. But I guess my first question when I would sit down and coach someone or I would talk to a friend or I would work through this with a consultant is, what is that place? What is that place, Eric, that you kind of had filed away in your head and thought, wow, it would be so amazing to like travel through that region and get to know it. Now, I don't know if you have ever expressed this to anybody. If you've told, you know, a sibling or a spouse or a parent or your best friend. But my guess is that the majority of people who are listening to today's interview has somewhere in their head that they, they've always been really curious about. So I guess that would be one of my first questions, because this is a really heart decision. This is something that is very emotional. You know, right. we're going to look at the logical side. Does it make sense from a tax situation, from a financial situation, all of these types, cost of living situation. But at the end of the day, it needs to make sense in your heart. Right. Is this something that interests you? For me, I'm really obsessed with Latin culture right now. I love the language. I love the music. I love having friends from here. I love being able to go out to a party and, and meet people and talk in groups. This for me is really interesting. For a while, it was the Middle East. That spoke to me and it did for many years. And when it didn't anymore, it was time to leave. So I guess maybe that's not the answer to the question that you yeah. want to hear, but I guess it really depends. So I guess I would ask you if I'm thinking for myself, so we're not being hypothetical, I think it'd be really cool to live for, you know, I don't know about wanting to live there for somewhere for three years, but let's say for six months, can I assimilate somewhere in six months or is that too short? You think? Absolutely. You can. Okay. So let's say I want to start with six months and I, I want to live kind of like royalty and I want to have a very low cost of living. However, I still want to have a nice standard of living. Right. And I also I want to feel safe. Okay. And, and maybe I get in and, and a, and a nice place to work remotely and good food. You know, what are some of my options? All good things. All good things. Okay. Let's run through a couple of different countries. Sure. Let's first start with Panama because my vote of confidence for Panama is so high that I relocated my family. I mean, you're there right now, right? Exactly. I'm in Panama right now as we're having this conversation. I'm in downtown Panama City. I have a beautiful apartment. I have a 4,700 square foot penthouse apartment. I have, it's I two have to stories. say, first, first time I ever saw this background, at first I thought this was a, one, of, one of those Zoom virtual backgrounds. It's that beautiful. Mm. I'm right by the water. I'm near a park. We've got lots of nature. So I've got kind of the best of both. I, I've got the beautiful views and the nature, but I'm also have all of the amenities. You know, I didn't want to be out in some rural area where we didn't have access to things. I mean, that's just not where I am in my life. I wanted to be in a proper city. Yeah. So Panama works. Okay. Let's talk in your example here. Well, you could come in under a tourist visa. You would okay. get a couple of months here and you could work from your laptop and you could get an Airbnb. So that's one way to do it. Now, you probably have to leave the country after 90 days, and then you'd re-enter, something like that. But I have an even better option for you. Okay. Panama offers a visa 
for, it's an economic visa. You have to show strong ties to the country, but it's actually really affordable for an individual or you and a girlfriend or you and a spouse, I, probably spouse, I should say, you can expect is less than $10,000 and you would have a full residency here. And with oh. that, you would get a bank account. So you'd have an offshore bank account that you could use that's outside of the financial sector of where you grew up. You know, you can put money there legally. It's a US dollar account. So we're not talking about some currency like in Argentina where you're worried about it going to zero. No offense, my Argentinian fans, but it's true. Like you have to look at currency risk. You're also going to get a company formation. So if you wanted to do business, you could use that. It's an, it's a Panama SA. It's an anonymous corporation. There's all of that. That's an option. We get your residency. Now, once that's done, you can actually live here as long as you want for as much time as you want. You don't have to come and go out of the country every 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it might be from based on your nationality. You can be here as much as you want, or you can be here as little as you want. As long as you enter the country one day every two years, your residency stays active. Mm. So you can have basically a plan B. You get your carnet. It's in your wallet. You decide, I don't like what's going on in the States right now. I need to get out. I need a timeout. You now have a country that you can legally, legally live and work in. That's the difference. Some people go on a tourist visa and then they think that they can just do whatever they want there. No, you're going to get kicked out or you're going to get fined. Think about during the pandemic. A lot of airports closed around the world, except for citizens and legal residents. Tourists, no, sorry, you have to go home. That's your country's problem, okay? So you are so you could actually go live in Canada, keep your citizenship in Panama. your home country. Yeah, Panama. Yeah. Live in your, but still have citizenship in your home country. Correct. Yet you're a legal citizen or a legal resident. Legal resident. Legal yeah. resident. Okay, well, you brought up a really important point there. And I think this is something that a lot of people confuse. So you have the residency on one hand and you have citizenship on another hand. Let's look at both of them. A residency is going to allow you, and we're talking specifically about permanent residency, the ability to live and work in that country. Now, notice I didn't say travel document. I didn't say vote or anything like that. Those are kind of reserved for the citizens. So when you say, like, I am a Panamanian, that means you can vote in a Panamanian election. Okay, here we don't have a standing military, so there's no military to serve in, but we could take another country, take the UK or something like that. Sure. If you were a citizen of the UK and you had the desire, you could serve in the military. As a resident of the UK, you could not. Same thing with the voting. Residents cannot vote, citizens can vote. And then there's the travel document, the passport. That you're only gonna get on citizenship. That is your legal right to enter other countries with that. So we do a bit of arbitrage there. Maybe the country that you're coming from allows you to go to 150 countries, but it's different than the countries from a, I don't know, St. Keats passport or a Nevis passport or a Portuguese passport or a whatever passport you want. So now you can go to new countries on the new passport that you normally wouldn't get to do. You wouldn't have an opportunity to go to. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And are there, let's talk about the costs. Is it cheaper to live in Panama? Yes. Panama is very cheap. Panama is very affordable. You can expect Panama to kind of be like Miami. And I'm talking Panama City. Feel like Miami, but at about half the cost. Now, I can certainly think of cheaper countries in the world, but you're not going to have that high standard of living. 
I think Panama is a good balance between the two. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So let's look at first about healthcare. Here, you can get private healthcare. And I mean, me and my family, we have platinum coverage the, with all the bells and whistles, everything, inpatient, outpatient, um, zero deductible, full dental, all of these types of things, your drug plan, everything like that. And we pay for a family of three, about $5,000 a year. Now, I have a lot of friends in the United States who are paying 20,000, 22,000, 25,000. So you're automatically going to save yourself maybe 10, 15, 20,000 dollars on your medical just for your insurance. Right. But you might be thinking, yeah, but Panama is some third world country and you're going to get terrible service and Canada and the States, we have such amazing healthcare. Well, I hate to break it to you, but actually there's phenomenal healthcare down here and in many countries in the world. I have a John Hopkins, which is not too far away from my house. You know, a lot of the doctors are trained in Canada and the United States. They speak English. Yes, they have MRI machines and everything like that. You can do any of the surgeries that you would do back home. But it gets even better than that because in the United States, there's a ton of procedures that are not approved by the FDA. But they, you don't have to look at that type of regulation yeah. when you go overseas you can do possibly an experimental thing and be able to care for your loved one and get them the treatment that they would need. So there's a real life example on cost of living and standard of living on how you're going to do better on both of them by being outside of North America. How does the tax situation work if you're working remotely in Panama, but you're a citizen of either Canada or the United States? Okay, let's go through Canada very quickly. It's really, really simple. Most countries work exactly the same. Let's have a first a conversation about all countries of the world except the United States, and then we'll have a short conversation about just the United States. Okay. So all other countries, the procedure looks roughly like this. I'm not giving you individual tax advice. Please check with your accountant. This is for educational purposes only. But you become a permanent resident of another country. You become a tax resident of another country. That usually means spending 183 days in that country as a minimum. Once again, speak with your accountant. Individual countries have different things. Become a tax resident. Now become a non-resident of your home country and pay any applicable taxes that are due to your government. So you would probably do some type of deemed disposition and you would do a make-believe sale of all of your assets. Mm -hmm. And then if you were worth a million dollars, you would pretend that you would sell all of that stuff on that day. And then you would pay any taxes that are applicable. If you don't have any taxes that are applicable, great, excellent. You move to the new countries. Mm -hmm. Now you are a tax resident of that country and you are responsible for paying taxes in the new country. All right? Okay. Why do I like Panama? Well, straight off the bat, they do a territorial tax system. They don't do a residency-based taxation system. So they care about where the money is made, not where you are, which means mm. that you can live in Panama. And as long as your business or your job is outside of Panama, you are going to have no obligations to Panama. And please go and check this. I have sat down with the lawyers. I have confirmed it on every different angle possible that you could imagine. It is true. So if you have a coaching business, a consulting business, an Amazon FBA, a drop shipping business, you work remotely for a company, you have an InfoBiz product, you sell anything online, 
anything online. Your clients are outside of Panama. You're going to pay no taxes to the Panamanian government. Mm. Now, you're a bartender. You cut hair for a living. You own a store in the mall and you sell widgets. You have to pay taxes, okay? Yeah. You're doing business. You're selling to Panamanians. That's separate. I'm talking about internet business, online entrepreneurs. You do it correctly. You work with a professional like me. You should have, at the end of the day, zero tax obligation. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. Okay. Now, what about for the United States? Okay. For the United States, it works exactly the same, except the United States doesn't tax on residency. So being saying I'm no longer a residency is not enough. They actually tax on citizenship. So if you're an American citizen and you live anywhere in the world, the IRS is going to want their bite of the apple. Now, there's only two countries in the world that this applies to. One is the United States, and the second is Eritrea. It's a small country in northern East Africa, and they're known for blatant human rights violations. Now, I will let you draw conclusions for the U.S. and their tax system and how I feel about taxing people who don't live there. Because think about it. You're not contributing. You're not using the roads. You're not using the police station. You're not using the school systems. You're gone. I mean, like you are really gone. You literally live in another country using their country's systems. The IRS is still going to want their bite of the apple. However, there are a couple of programs by the IRS which will help you to mitigate them. Now, we won't get into too much of technical tax planning on this, and I'm not giving advice here, but the one that I encourage you to look into or come and speak to me or my team or something like that is called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, F-E-I-E. And for 2021, you can expect you're going to be able to shield the first $108,000, okay? Which is a substantial amount of money which is a very substantial, $108,600 is going to be your threshold. Now you earn more than that, you're going to have to pay taxes on it back to the U.S. government, okay? Now, how do you qualify for this? Because there's caveats here. I mean, first of all, you actually have to live in a foreign country, foreign earned income exclusion. So you need to qualify by passing one of two tests. The first one is called the physical presence test, and it's my favorite. And I like it because it's math. I like math. It's very black and white. You need to spend 330 days in a foreign country. That's the foreign part, foreign earned, okay? Mm -hmm. The second one is called the bona fide residency test. Usually, we look at the bona fide residency test maybe after year one, once you've completed a full year and everything like that. So we won't talk too much about that. It's for down the road, but it's one or the other. You can qualify for one of the two. But let's focus on the physical presence test. You need to be inside of a foreign country. That means that you can't be in international waters. You can't be in an airplane flying to Panama or flying to Costa Rica or flying to Europe. You need to be boots on the ground. Your feet actually have to be there. You can't be on a yacht sailing around the world. You can't be on a cruise ship visiting St. Lucia and Dominica and all of these countries. You have to be in there. Second of all, it has to be earned income, foreign earned income exclusion. That means that your dividends don't count. Your interest from coupons, from bonds, from banks, that doesn't count. No type of passive income is going to count towards this. But you have a job. 
you own a real business that does real products and services, and you draw a salary from that business, you are going to qualify. Now, Eric, if you're living in Costa Rica or Belize or Panama, yeah. and you're earning $108,000, you are having a very nice life. I promise you, a very, 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 very nice life. Mm. And it gets even better than that. If you have a spouse and they are also American and they are also qualified for the foreign earned income exclusion, it is a doubling effect. So you can expect now we're at almost $220,000 that you are going to live tax-free. And now here's where the magic happens. The U.S. government doesn't care where the money is earned. They care where you are, where you are physically. Now you take a country with a territorial tax system, and in this example, it's Panama, but there's many other countries that this also works with. They don't care where you are. They only care where the money is. Right. Okay? It's like they're made perfectly for one another. So if you want to substantially lower your tax bill, if you want to have a higher standard of living and a lower cost of living and get rid of 75% of your insurance costs for healthcare, Look at moving overseas. These are real life strategies that you can do, that you can put into place. Are there nuances? Should you get professional help? Are there pitfalls? Yes, absolutely. That's why you work with someone like me who has been doing this stuff, who has been navigating this for 21 years. But yes, it is real life possible to do all of these types of things. And this is what I do for a living. This is what I help people with. And it's very rewarding. I love the feeling of knowing that I'm helping someone's dreams come true, that you know, if they're retiring or if they're a young entrepreneur or they're building their business overseas, that they can do it in a more efficient manner with having fun and adventure and learn new language and all of these things that come with it. It's super rewarding. So let me ask you, so... Clearly, there are some real tax savings to be had just from simply moving overseas, and you can almost arbitrage your taxation, if you will. You talked about Panama. You mentioned Belize. Is Belize also a country where you can live a nice life? Because to be fair, I, I did go to Belize on a cruise, and I walked around Belize City for a day. So it was only a day. You know, it was a cruise excursion. It's kind of terrifying to me. So did I see the Let's wrong talk part about of Belize? Belize? Yeah, please. Let's talk about Belize. So remember my very first question of, you know, what type of lifestyle do you want? Yeah. Well, Belize is excellent for certain things. Now, I wouldn't pick Belize City, and it seems a little bit irresponsible. It's a cruise ship that took you there. But you can go out to the islands of Belize. We're talking about a Caribbean country. Now, if you love scuba diving, if scuba diving is your passion, and you want to scuba dive every single day for the rest of your life, well, Belize is an excellent spot. They have the second largest Great Barrier Reef in the world. It's beautiful. I dove it. I did my open water there about 20 years ago. If you're into big game fishing and you want to fish and you love fishing, Belize is an excellent place for you. But if you want to be in a cosmopolitan place and you want to have access to all the amenities, I mean, Belize might not be it, especially the islands. You're a little bit remote. Now, I work with lots of clients who move to Belize who love those first two things. Yeah. We don't send them to Belize City. We send them out to the islands and it's much okay. safer there. And it's mostly tourists there and it's English speaking. So it's very simple and you can get a nice place to live. So that's an option. For me, I like that in my neighborhood, I have three cinemas that all have VIP seating so that I can 
pick up the iPad and I can order myself a beer or a glass of wine and a three course dinner. And I've got this huge lazy boy and they bring me a blanket and I can sit there and watch movies and it costs me $10 for my movie ticket. I can walk to three of those. I can tell you that's not going to happen in Belize. Yeah. I have an Asian grocery store that's right next to my house. My wife is from mainland China. She wants access to Asian products, produce, food, spices, sauce. If you like to cook, I mean, Belize is probably not going to be the space for you. Okay. So it's, it's the lifestyle. Let's look I, at Costa Rica. Costa Rica is a beautiful country. I've been there multiple times. I love it there. I get a lot of people who want to be in nature and they want to be in the forest and have birds and everything like that. That's awesome. Costa Rica is a great place for that, but there's, it's very expensive, certainly more expensive than Panama. You still don't have that type of infrastructure. The visa process, instead of taking a couple of weeks to do, might take a couple of years to do. Instead of being sub $10,000, you might need to make a couple hundred thousand dollar real estate investment. But Costa Rica is also very popular. There's hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million Americans that live in Costa Rica. But it's what are you after? What kind of lifestyle do you want? All right. So then let me ask you this. Let's say I want a really, really cheap cost of living. I want to live like a king. Like I want to live like royalty. I don't need all the amenities per se. Okay. So I, just, I just want to pay, I want to pay for them myself. I want to be able to have a movie theater. I want to be able to have my own security force. I want mm -hmm. to be able to literally live like a freaking king in that country and maybe have some good tax benefits along the way. Then what would you recommend? I still think that you can live at a very high standard of living in Panama, but we've talked a lot about Panama. Let's, let's put that one aside because there's a lot of countries out there in the world. Let's go look at Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia is very, very attractive, especially from a cost of living standpoint. So the number one people that place that people normally think of is Thailand. Thailand is very, very popular. They have a visa process called the elite visa. It is a, you can basically say it's a donation to the government for this program. Mm -hmm. It goes anywhere from about $15,000, $20,000 all the way up to $60,000. Now, you don't get anything from that besides a card that allows you to live in the country. I mean, you don't become a permanent residency. You will never get an opportunity to be a citizenship. So you'll never get that chance to be, to get the passport. But Thailand, wow, what a beautiful country, but a very low cost of living in a can be a very high standard of living if you have money. If you want to live like a king and you got money to spend, trust me, you can spend it in Thailand. There's no question about that. For the most part, it is seen as a safe country. It's not a lot of violent crime. Okay, don't wander around Bangkok at two o'clock in the morning, absolutely wasted and say stupid things. You're probably going to get in trouble. Now, it's probably going to be from the petty crime side, not from the violent crime side, but still that's good advice anywhere. Like I wouldn't walk yeah. around downtown Detroit at two in the morning and no. saying stupid stuff. Like, I mean, you know, South Central and there's lots of places I can think of in Toronto that I wouldn't want to be going around and lipping off to people. So saying all of that, you need to keep your head about you. You can also look at Vietnam. Talk mm. about low cost of living. A lot of expats are moving to Vietnam. It's really showing itself as a great place to live. Now, I've been to Vietnam and I was blown away by how fast they're growing. They have cafes and restaurants everywhere, everywhere. And you can get products that you would get back home in the States as if you were like in your backyard. So you have all those amenities, but it is certainly a different culture. Like you're going to get a little bit of culture shock. The language is going to be very, very challenging. 
I mean, there's no question about that. Learning Vietnamese or learning Thai is going to be very hard. Certainly harder than any of the Romance languages. Like if we moved you to Portugal, you're going to have first world country. And I mean, it's going to be cheaper. It's not going to be budget, but it's going to be cheaper. Good tax situation. And if you needed to learn Portuguese Portuguese opposed to Brazilian Portuguese, it's possible. It's not going to be so hard. It's not going to be easy, but it's not going to be impossible. It's not going to be impossible. Nothing's impossible, but I mean, Vietnamese is going to be get close. Totally. <laughs> so, if you were living in, say, Thailand or Vietnam, what are some of the things that you might be able to buy if you're making a few hundred grand? That just is completely out of the question in the United States or Canada. Okay. Well, let's talk straight off the mount, and this isn't really buy, but hire is sure. domestic help in most developing countries. It is not the exception. It is the norm to have domestic help. Actually, if you don't have domestic help, it's a little bit weird. Hmm. Now, most people will have not even one person helping around the house. They might have two or three or four. So you might have someone who does all the cooking. If you have children, you might have someone who looks after the children. If you own a villa and you have a property with a pool or the grass or anything like that. You might have a full-time live-in landscaper who handles all the handyman stuff and all the maintenance of the yard and the pool and everything like that. So you could have you know, a huge place close to the beach with your own pool and your own fruit trees there. And you would have someone on site, but not in your home. It's usually a small area, like maybe a Think of like a garage that they transform, but they're actually built for domestic help. I have friends here in Panama who have three helpers. Mm. The last one is they have a driver. My friends have two kids and their kids are involved in everything, dance and ballet and singing and karate and every type of sport imaginable. Well, my friend, although he wants to go and see the game and stuff like that, can't take him to every single practice and every single recital. So he has a full-time driver. That person doesn't live there, but they're on call eight to 10 hours a day and they take the kid to practice and then they wait there and they take the kid back and then they pick up the other one and yada, yada, yada. You can do that when you live in some of these countries. I wouldn't even want to know what the cost would be if I lived in Toronto or New York or LA or something and I needed full-time help. Here's another thing. My wife doesn't work. My wife is a stay-at-home mom. My wife can be to homeschool my daughter because I'm well-to-do and I live in a country which is affordable. Most families in North America can no longer do this. That kind of started getting phased out in the 60s and 70s. Now, in today's day and age, most families have to have a dual income. In this, you can probably go back to single income and still have a higher standard of living. And it doesn't even have to be the woman that stays home. I'm not talking about some sexist thing. I know people that the men stay home. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean... How awesome is that? Spend a lot of time with your kids. If you have creative endeavors, you can pursue those overseas. I know I didn't quite answer your question of what you can buy, but these are real life things. I meant more like a lifestyle thing. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. Like, forget about it. You're not cleaning the toilet anymore. You're not washing the floors or or doing the windows. You don't have to cut the grass. There's no snow in these countries that we're talking about. If you were shoveling so no yeah. the snows, like if, if I'm owning a mansion in Thailand or Vietnam, what costs are we looking at for a home? Like nice, nice gigantic home. Oh, see, I wouldn't even know. I'd be remiss to tell you, but okay. I, I promise you, it is a fraction of what it is wherever you are living right now, or wherever your listeners are right now. Now, I'm not saying that they're giving it away for free. Yeah. I mean, 
there's still real costs. Concrete costs money. There is an international standard for concrete, for timber, for I-beams. Those are yeah. international standards. But the labor costs are so low that you can get a lot more with a lot less. Okay. Now, what about, you know, we've talked about, you know, Panama, which, you know, people have heard of. It's one of those countries that even someone like me, who's very much a layman in, in this expat world, has heard of the benefits of Panama. And uh, Thailand, Vietnam, kind of considered more of the budget countries, even though I don't know much about them. What are some countries that typically nobody would think of unless you're actually someone who's a professional like you or in the expat community? The well, hidden I think, gems. I think that... A lot of the countries that are popular are popular for a reason. Okay. A lot of the things that I think people don't know about is the citizenship programs where you can actually go out there and buy a citizenship. You can buy a passport to one of, not the countries we've discussed, but we can discuss some of the countries. These are often Caribbean countries okay. who maybe rely a lot on tourism. Maybe they don't really have developed financial sectors. Maybe they don't have any natural resources. So what they do is they sell access to get their passport. These mm -hmm. can start at anywhere from a $100,000 donation and in some countries go up to a million dollars. So we can talk about, you know, St. Lucia, St. Lucia is a very popular one. Antigua, you make a payment, you would work with someone like me or someone else, and we would set this up for you. It's a legal program by the government. And that's always the very first question that I get is, yeah. is this legal? Yes, it is 100% legal. We're not talking about, oh, my cousin, he works at immigration, he's going to print you some passport. No, you are a citizen. You are a part of the registry. You can actually say, I am from this country. When your passport expires, you go to the embassy, you get another passport. It can be passed on to your children. You can use that passport and travel to the Schengen zone. You can go to Europe in it. There's lots of opportunities here. And if you want to, you can live on one of those Caribbean countries. A little bit, a lot, that's up to you. I think that a lot of people don't really know how immigration works and the different procedures and the different programs that are out there. I mean, it's but complicated I'm, enough in my own home country. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's 193 countries in the world recognized by the United Nations. Okay. You can figure that about 170 of them are quote unquote free countries. So those are the countries that people are going to work in. Now, I've been to North Korea. I've been to Iran. Those are not countries that I'm helping anyone to relocate to. Okay. okay? You can think mostly I work in Southeast Asia, all of Latin America, Europe, and then the Caribbean, with the most popular being Latin America, because as I said earlier, it seems to be that most people like to go north-south opposed to east-west. Okay. Are there people, I have to ask you, is there anybody that lives in North Korea that's not actually Korean? Like, is there people that actually choose to live in North Korea? I did not meet any. I was there for almost two weeks, and everybody okay. I met was North Korean. You're probably going to find Chinese officials there. That would probably be the extent. I can't tell you off the top of my head. I can tell you a little bit about North Korea. North Korea was a really random place. It wasn't dangerous by any means. I mean, if I had have maybe disrespected the great leader, that would be quite dangerous. Did you go on like one of those tours that you have to like travel from yeah. China? That's exactly what I did. So we flew in from Beijing to Pyongyang. I spent almost two weeks around North Korea. And then I took a 24-hour sleeper train from Pyongyang back to Beijing. 
it was amazing. The countryside was very beautiful. I went to the demilitarized zone while I was there. I met lots of people. Um, and I did a whole bunch of really normal stuff. I mean, we went to the fair. We rode the subway. We went to the museums. We went out drinking. We rode the subway. We just kind of did normal stuff. Yes. Is it a wacky country with a wacky government? Absolutely. Do you but ever plan country- on going back? Yeah, I would like to. We went there for National Day and we saw the mass dance, but there's some other things that I'd like to see there. You know, it's not in the next 12 to 24 month range, but, you know, one day I would like to make another visit there. But I think that it's important that people understand that a country is not their government. We have the government on one side and we have the people there on the other side. The people don't want to live in a situation like this. That's not what they asked for. It's the government. If we judged all Americans based on the U.S. government, wow, like, sorry, guys, but there's been some really crummy things that have happened over the last hundred years. I mean, I don't think that I'm the first one to say this. Even if we judged all Americans by this, it'd be pretty dangerous for Americans to leave your country. But, I mean, some of my best friends in the whole wide world are American. I've been there multiple, multiple, multiple times. I've traveled to half of the states. I love the United States. I genuinely do. Do I agree with what the U.S. government is doing and interfering in other countries? No, absolutely not. I think it's wrong. That's my opinion. Let's keep the government and the people see it separate. Same thing with Iran. I went to Iran. I was there for, once again, almost two weeks. It was one of the most beautiful countries in the world with the most gentle people. I had so many amazing experiences there. I met so many sweet, lovely people. They invite me into their home. They show me their culture. We eat their food. Does that mean that I should hate them all because their government does weird and wacky things? No, it doesn't. I mean, let's keep it separate. I don't agree what the Persian government is doing. Absolutely. So we got to keep things in perspective. But to kind of tie things back, I mean, there are many great countries to live in the world, have no military or have peaceful military and are peaceful countries that are safe to live in. Like Costa Rica has no standing military. Panama has no standing military. Take Switzerland. I've been to Switzerland 23, 24, 25 times. I don't know. At least two dozen times I've been to Switzerland. I love Switzerland with all of my heart. Switzerland has stayed neutral for over 500 years. They have never interfered in any war for over 500 years. That's amazing. I really like that. I really respect them for that. Now, Switzerland, it is very normal for them to have guns. Pretty much anybody and everybody has a gun in their home. They work as a militia to protect the country if it was ever invaded. I think that this is great. I think that Switzerland has some amazing laws and rules. I think it's a very free place to live. If you want to become a resident of Switzerland, there are opportunities for that. Now, it's expensive, and you you better be a high net worth individual, but they're looking for certain type of people who are going to respect their culture and their community, and you can go in there. Most European countries are like this. I mean, don't go to another country and try to make it like your country. Go there, go for the cultural experience, the food, the language, you know, make friends. Yeah. What the world's you, a big place. Lots to lots to explore. So speaking of lots to explore, what do you know about Estonia? Okay, I know quite a bit about Estonia. Estonia is one of those countries that is really up and coming. So that's what I've I, heard, yeah. So There's a lot going on there. So 
Several years ago, they launched what was called the Digital Residency Program. Now, people thought that this meant a physical residency. Unfortunately, it did not. What it was was completely digital. You could have a digital residency there, not you can apply for your residency in a digital fashion. So once you apply for your digital residency, you can now use that to go out there and get a bank account, register a company, do all types of things like that. Now, I actually had one of the guys who created this program on my on my podcast, The Expat Money Show. And if you go to expatmoneyshow.com and type in Ott Vater, I think it's O-T-T, if you type his name in, you'll see that. And he well, we'll put it in the show notes too. We'll put it in the show notes, excellent. He goes through all of the details there. So saying all of that, you could have your business registered there and it's very affordable. Now, since COVID happened, they've offered a digital nomad visa, which will allow you to live and work in the country for up to 12 months. Cool, amazing. There's a couple of hidden things that you might wanna know about this though. Well, first of all, Estonia has a flat tax rate. Going from memory, it is 20%. Now, remember earlier how I said to become a tax resident of a place, you need to be there for 183 days. Mm. Well, if you live in Estonia for one year, you are now a tax residency. Now, although your visa to live there was only 55 euros, you now owe the Estonian government 20% of whatever you earn. Now, if you own a million dollar business, that went from being the cheapest visa in the world to the most expensive visa in the world, especially because it's not a permanent residency visa. It's only a 12 month work visa. So keep those types of things in mind. That's a pitfall that unless you really study this or you work in this field, you might not know. I've even had some friends work in this industry and didn't realize that you are now a, you have now ta- tax obligations to the country. So make sure you understand. When we were talking about the citizenship by investment, St. Lucia, for example, or Antigua or Barbuda, I mean, those are tax-free countries. No corporate tax, no income tax, no estate tax, no wealth tax, no, no goods and service tax, no tax. I mean, yes, you pay $100,000, it's not a temporary thing. It's a permanent thing. You have it forever. It's not a residency. It's a citizenship. You get the passport. You pass it on to your kids. They pass it on to their kids, their grandkids. You now have it forever. Yeah. And it's a tax-free country. That's $100,000 for permanent. Estonia, your business, based on your situation, might be a lot more money. So right. look at these things before you make a, a big decision like that. Okay. One more nuance I want to ask you about. Let's, <laughs> Absolutely. Hit yeah. Me, let, me. Let's say you want to live, you know, of this really incredible lifestyle. Maybe you're a high net worth individual. You're making a good amount of money. This, um, this is clearly not going to apply if you're lower middle class or something. And you want to be in a place where you might have to hire your own security force, but you can still feel rather safe in the country as long as you have your own security force. Does that, does that exist or is that if you have your own security force, you're not going to be safe? Okay. Unless you're living in Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that, yeah. chances are you are not going to have to have your own private security. Okay. In most countries for expat, if it's a walled community or a gated community, there will be cameras there. There will be physical security. You'll have a 24-hour guard. Okay. I mean, this is not so much that you 
are afraid terrorists are going to break through the front door or anything. These are safe countries. If you yeah. look at the, the, the murder ratio, and you can go out there and look it up, I mean, these are much safer countries than the United States or Canada. In mo I think every country that we've talked about today are safer than the United States. Okay. So I'm not sending you to Afghanistan or Iraq. Well, now, what when if, what I, is, have you had someone that said, hey, I actually would like to live in Afghanistan for a year? No, I've okay. never had. I've never well, had. I have lots of friends. I have had lots of people who have lived in there who have done independent contracting and things like that. Like I have friends who did IT, who were non-government workers who went in, who were contracted, and okay. they have private security that covers everything. But in most of the countries, no. And even when I say I lived in the Middle East for eight years, yeah. I lived in Abu Dhabi. It is a thousand times safer than the US. It is the safest place I have ever been in the world. And I lived in Singapore. That's safe. Like, it's really safe. I used to go to the Starbucks, put my wallet down, put my bag down, my laptop and stuff like that, then walk up to the counter and order my coffee and stuff like that and come back to my table. Trust me, no one is ever going to touch your stuff. Another time I remember I well, was the at the grocery is it, is store. It in Singapore, the penalties, is it Singapore or the penalties are crazy or is that Malaysia? I think both the penalties okay. are usually for drug offenses. So if you go to Malaysia and you're like smuggling in heroin, then it's a mandatory death sentence. So, hey, everyone listening to this interview, please don't smuggle heroin into Malaysia. Don't do it in Indonesia. I mean, don't maybe do don't just smuggle heroin countries. in general, but, you know, yeah, like, we're going to do mean, it. Don't do it in Malaysia. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, be smart about yourself. I mean, yeah. Follow the local laws. You need to follow the laws of the land. Don't do stupid stuff. Yeah, okay, they're not going to execute you in the U.S. for that, but they will in a Muslim country. So be mindful. What else can there, I say? There could be other laws that I'm just thinking. Maybe there are countries where you want to follow laws, but there might be some custom or some thing in the culture that to you would just not be intuitive that you're – creating some massive violation by doing something that to you might be feel normal. Is that, would that be true or, or, or not really? I mean, it could be true. It absolutely could be true in a, in a Muslim country. Don't have sex in public, you know, okay. don't do weird stuff like that. It's a very conservative country. They take these things very, very seriously. Okay. Know and understand, read a couple of books before right. you go, before you make a decision, then you respect their country and customs that's kind of where it's at. I lived in a Muslim country for many years. I never had any problem. I don't know anybody who ever had a problem. Yes, I'm sure there are people listening who are saying, oh, but in Saudi Arabia, if a woman does this, then she's going to get stoned. Listen, that's not you, and that's not your family, and that's not where I'm telling you to go and live. Right. You go to Oman, you go to Bahrain, you go to the UAE, you go to I've Dubai. I've heard Oman's beautiful. It is so beautiful. They have this mountainous coastline. It's amazing scuba diving there. They've got the old town, the mosques that are through there. It's stunning, 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 beautiful country. Um, Bahrain is party central. I mean, if you like to drink and go out, you go to Bahrain. It's not so. Same with Dubai. I mean, Dubai is like Las Vegas of the Middle <laughs> East. It's like tall buildings and loud music and clubs. And once again, don't smuggle heroin. Don't have sex in public. I think there's your checklist. I All mean, right. Basic stuff. We've covered a lot, and I'm sure we could probably spend five hours just on Estonia if we really wanted to. Is there anything that you think people should know who want to start learning about being an expat, maybe would want to get in contact with you or learn more about this field that we just haven't covered that you think 
would be important. Absolutely. So two things that I want you guys to do. Number one, come and subscribe to my podcast. It's called The Expat Money Show. If you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to sign up. It's completely free. I don't charge for it. We've done, I don't know, 125, 130 episodes, something like that. I've had huge guests on my show, like Jim Rogers. I've had Grant Cardone on my nice. show. I've had you, Eric, on my show, which is a brand new episode. So go and check that out. Where I don't we know, share putting a lot me in the same category as investing. a... Jim Rogers and Grant Cardone. I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> no, but it's a, it is a fun show. I think we had a fun conversation yeah. and we talk about a lot of these types of ideas, but we go really in depth. Like we've, we've covered a lot of ground. You've asked some smart questions today, but still there's a lot to this. We're talking about 20 years of my experiences working with so many clients and going to all these countries. So you're going to learn a lot on that show. So please, I invite you, go to expatmoneyshow.com, sign up for the podcast, have a listen. Number two, if you guys like to read, if you want to go a little bit more in depth, if you go to Amazon and you type in Expat Secrets, my book is called Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. Super humble title. I know, Eric, I'm a very humble guy. You know, that's I how it. I roll. <laughs> I'm probably even more humble than you are. <laughs> <laughs> so go and pick that up on Amazon. It came out a couple of years ago, but all the content is evergreen. It will let you know how to get a hold of me if you want to work with me or anything like that. And it's going to go on in depth on many things and things we didn't have a chance to talk about today. So offshore banking, offshore incorporation, private gold storage, a lot more on the taxes situation from the corporate tax side. There's tons of things in immigration that we didn't get a chance to go through. Literally, you said five hours. We could have spent 50 hours to go through all of this type of stuff. It's very clear. The more questions I ask, the more I realize how little I know about this. Well, you have to understand, I am so passionate about this. I love it. I I love it. I don't want to be cliche, but I literally get out of bed every single morning and I am so stoked to go out there and write and help people and speak about this and promote this because I feel like If you guys who are listening today have a dream, you have a dream of living overseas, of having a better standard of living, of traveling, of exploring the world, I feel like I can actually help you do it. I can inspire you. I can give you the tools you need to make it happen. And if I can have a positive input, and if I can have a positive impact on someone's life, then that's really awesome for me. Then I get a big kick out of that. So that's what I'm all about. Go check out the podcast, expatmoneyshow.com. If you want to support, if you want to learn more, pick up my book on Amazon, Expat Secrets. And that's it. I'm here to help. Send me an email. And yeah, man, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for coming on, Michael. It was great to have you on. Absolutely. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.